I love people who love records. People who live, breathe, sleep, music. They're always looking for something new and exciting. And they just have such a passion for music and sharing it. And my next guest, Benji B, is just an incredible example of that. He's been at the forefront of UK radio for ages. He's an incredible A&R man. And he is so knowledgeable and knows so much about so many different styles of music. It was a real pleasure to sit down and talk to him. You will also witness uh, live in real time two people making friends, which is always kind of exciting. We had an incredible conversation, a real deep dive into into how to program a party. We talked about records that are only meant for weddings. We talked about the frequency of intention that goes into something. The golden age of UK radio, we talked about the effects of Public Enemy, the band, on a young, impressionable mind. And uh, yeah, it was very, very enjoyable. And if you wanted to sit back and listen to two music lovers breaking it down, I hope you enjoy. This is Last Party on Earth with Benji B. I mean, let's just jump right into it, really. Uh, first of all, it, I've never, I've never met you. I mean, we've never really met, so it's so bizarre. This is like our first date. It's a great way to have a first date in in this sort of quarantine time. It seems like the perfect time to make time for these kind of meetings. I think that there's, you know, definitely been a number of times where I've probably walked past like some mega trailer behind a, a festival on the way to my little weird bunker with a kettle in it that said tiger on the front of it but apart from that i haven't really um had a chance to say what's up i i think we've definitely been at you know the same festivals nights whatever you want to call it at certain points in time but we've been close we've, we've been, been close. geographically close and having listened to a couple of previous podcasts i think that we are you know one degree of separation from some mutual friends um which, you know, is cool. I've always had a great deal of respect for what you've done and achieved in, in music. And well, Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> and from afar, I've always really admired the way that you've always kept it moving, not just from a musical standpoint, but also in terms of the way that you present music in the live realm or the DJing realm even, you know. And, great. Um, and I think, just keep going. Just just keep yeah. just keep going. Yeah, no, I mean, well, it's you know, it's <laughs> it, it's true. And and the reason it's true is because I think that uh regardless of genre, you know, music people just sort of respond to authenticity, you know mm. what I mean? Um, regardless of genre, background, age, or whatever. I think that there's just that mutual respect for you know, when you can feel that the frequency is authentic of what someone's yeah. doing. You know what I'm saying? And Definitely. I've always well, got that very strongly from from what 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 you've been doing over the years. So you know, respect oh, for that. Well, really, thank you very much. I I really I really appreciate it. And actually, you just kind of did the intro for me because that's that's why I wanted to talk to you. I mean, I was uh, I was really excited to talk to you specifically. Um, they're quite strange times, as everyone knows, and I've been really really interested and preoccupied just about 
really getting down to the nitty gritty of what our relationship is to music, you know, what it does to us, how it comforts us and kind of where that passion and authenticity comes from. And you're somebody who so clearly is like really, really close to the music, loves music, loves records, has been, you know, digging and finding and presenting and just just living so close to it for so long that I was actually, I was excited because that's why I do the podcast really selfishly is to, well, to kind of talk to like-minded people and also to get inspired myself. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm really ready to talk and to, to explore some of this stuff. Mm, definitely. I'm well, thanks for the invite. It's good to, it's good to catch up, even if it is not in person in some yeah, well, sort of um, backstage no, nothing's room. in person now so yeah exactly. and though and and that giant trailer scenario that you painted before that kidding. seems that seems like a long time ago yeah it does <laughs> it does right? it really seems like a long time ago it does. so i i wanted to i'm into this idea lately of of uh kind of what role music plays in our lives uh, in terms of really the day-to-day, the priority it takes. Um, There's so many things that come at us, especially once you have careers, you know, the business stuff, the admin stuff, the responsibilities, and just really what place listening and enjoying music has in that. And so I want to ask you like today, for example, Mm -hmm. how early in the day did you listen to music? Well, today it was first thing, but the way I was listening was actually referencing a radio show that I had recorded last night just to make sure it was all there so that's my honest answer is the first audio I heard was that um I mean today that's kind of work related that's reviewing a show but like kind of walk me through on an average day how you interact with it do you have a schedule do you put on an album right away when you wake up are you you know is it a morning thing is it part of a work ritual I'm just really curious the listening process is definitely part of my routine and therefore responsibility and therefore job if you like and so the whole yeah. of monday and tuesday of every week is just listening to new music okay. so i guess okay. that would be like a really strong focal point to start with is the fact that like when i wake up on a monday i need to know i, I know that i need to go through all the promos have been sent all the new stuff that i've dug out on spotify or whatever any records that i've bought over the last week and that that will then sort of bleed into tuesday uh, which becomes kind of more intensive listening all the way up to recording the show, which is on a Tuesday night um, for broadcast on a Wednesday, because I'm currently recording it because of the current climate, right? But whether I'm doing it live or recording it, it's always two full days of listening a week. And it's interesting that you should ask to talk about this because I've got no one else to talk about this with. Yeah, well, that's but why it's, I'm... It, it's quite, it's I'm quite really a big deal if you it. think about it. Two days of every it's week huge. of your life for my whole life. Well, that's- no, for me, I mean, there's a few areas that they, they don't get the glamour headlines. I mean, they're not exotic, but the idea of when and how you listen to music and how you organize your music are things that I, I find really interesting yeah. because, well, first of all, I struggle with them perpetually and it's just everyone does it in a different way. Okay, so the Monday, Tuesday, all day listening, that's amazing. First of yeah. all, it sets the tone. So right away, it is more important than emails banking stockbroker production whatever it, it might yeah, be yeah i mean that, that you, stuff you know. is going on as well on a monday so the best way i could say it is on a monday you know however much you try and ring fence and keep sacred that space it's always going to get invaded by monday stuff because the rest of the world wants to do stuff on a monday right and so you are inevitably 
having to kind of like put music on in the background and then suddenly realize, hold on, I wasn't really listening to that properly because I was responding to this message or text or whatever. So the Monday, Tuesday is all new music. It's all new stuff. 100%. And it's so ingrained in me now that like in the days, you know, I mean, we should talk about this too. The fact that I haven't, neither of us have been on an airplane for the last three months is probably a radical experience. Do you know what I mean? Because I've been on an airplane every week for five it might be, it might be the greatest not being on an airplane i have to be honest i mean i get in trouble when i say these things but the sheer joy of not being on an airplane for yeah. for two months at a, i i'm aware of how atypical this sounds i'm aware that it's all backwards no that's your reality you're entitled to your own experience do you know what i mean the sheer joy of it has pretty much outweighed everything else like i i wake up in the mornings with like a sense of deep relief. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a separate, separate well, conversation. Well just, it is, and maybe we can get onto that in terms of DJ mm. life and how it's changed. But, you know, just to give you the aeroplane analogy, you know, a long-haul flight, let's say, to LA or to Tokyo or something like that, or even, to be honest, something shorter. Like, if I'm not listening to new music or sleeping in that time, I feel like I'm wasting time. You know what I mean? It's very, and I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying what my, I, I don't really get on a plane and go, oh, I wonder what movies they've got this month. I just get on and, you know, I, I, I my job is to get through this relentless tidal wave of new music that is coming at me every week. And that is my hunger. I'm always hunger, hungry for more. So in a but sense. But that sounds like you're, yeah. you're pretty disciplined though. Yeah, I have to be just to be able to get through it, you know. And it's it's also amazing what a discipline can be when you have a red on air light that goes on once a week exactly you know what i mean it's like if you if i said oh you know what i'm gonna do maybe i'll just do like a mix every week i wouldn't do it and it's the public facing element i mean you essentially have to give a a, a public speech you know every you know there's a you can't end there there's nothing like that to to give you some structure and regiment to the the program you know which is amazing it's interesting because what we're seeing now i mean there's a lot of djs and musicians whose structure has just dissolved um and it's interesting to see what kind of habits they can maintain you know for me the, the airplanes over the last 20 years it was pretty much a battle between books because I really love reading and it's just the greatest time to read and listening to stuff. I will say, I don't know if you found, but I find there's something about motion while listening that really creates ideas and an yeah. attachment to the music. I always felt like a little extra. You're also more emotional because, you know, like yes. people always say, oh, oh, I cried at a film I didn't expect to when I was in. Yeah, that's because you're at 36,000 feet. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden I'm like falling in love with like a U2 record. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. I wouldn't go that I'm far, like, but yeah. <laughs> You didn't. You weren't flying. You weren't flying high enough. I was. <laughs> I, was I was really. I was at like eighty thousand feet, and I heard one by. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, t- the reason I went into such detail in answering your question about listening to music is because the question itself made me be self-reflective about, like, well, how much music do I listen to for pleasure? Like, oh, I'm just going to whack on Shuggy Otis or John Coltrane. Eight, it made me realize just through us talking just now that this first question is super loaded for me because actually like 80 or 90% of the music that I play on the radio is new music. And crucially, I should mention, you know, seeing as we're talking about this and and obviously you're known for occupying the dance music realm and we're both DJs that travel, but on the radio, I reflect 
what we do on the weekend or in the club or at the festival or whatever you want to call it. But I also reflect listening music. Do you know what I mean? So it's not just like I'm going through the top 10, I'm buying stuff from Beatport and Track Source and going through the top 10 house and techno, you know. It's like, nah, I'm going through music. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like the the net that you have to cast is super wide. And so in a way, like 80%, 90% of every show I do is new music with a new turnover. And I guess that's what I've become known for over the years. And it's, you know, it's not just either about oh here's a bunch of new shit it's actually about how do you present that as a kind of meaningful mixtape just like you would present a dj set in a meaningful way in a club do you know what i'm saying so it's kind of yeah it's a, it's a lot of work man i know i know well I, that's i mean when i in, in the beginning when i said i was so excited to speak to you specifically is because you know when you're into a lot of different styles and yeah. when you when this when the spectrum is wide you know, obviously people just throw us all together as DJs, you know, it's easy, but, but I've always thought that with that wide breadth of taste comes a complexity. It's, there's a complexity to managing the music, obviously the amount of time required, how far you have to deep, but dig, but I've always been, I have a lot of friends who are like straight techno DJs, you know, yeah. and I've always been quite envious Me in a way. Too, I'm man. Like, 100%. like I look at their, I look at their boxes and it's like, 130 plus is yeah. a category, yeah. uh, you know, and then there's like a tiny group for like emotional vocals or whatever. And then everything else, it's just like four boxes. And then I look at my own and it's like ultra deep, broken Aphex jazz. <laughs> and then it's like, it's like looking into the mind of a lunatic, you know, it's just, it just keeps fractal breaking off into smaller and smaller subsets. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'm just like, what, you know, what's wrong with me and what's, no, I mean, if 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 I had to pick which one of those categories in, I'm in your category to the power of one million. I mean, I literally no, I, have I know you are categories <laughs> of the, like I've seen the playlists. Yeah, it's 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 overwhelming, man. It's overwhelming, and and also I remember, you know, in the the sort of record box era of um, not record box the software, but when you when you the physical the box. physical record box on the on the on the carousel at the airport, you know. And mm. when you're fortunate enough to bump into a DJ that you know or someone that you respect, or do you remember those conversations that you'd have, like when the record boxes are popping out of the suitcase carousel kind of thing? Yeah. And that's kind of, it's like you make friends, you make friends in 15 seconds. Yeah. And I remember one time seeing a drum and bass DJ that had like a dub plate box, right? Which must have literally held 12 dubs, like 12 records. Or maybe twenty, the really skinny one, you know. But like the, the, it's still, it's still like a metal flight case, but it's super skinny. It's like the DJ and, briefcase. And I just thought to myself, wow. And then you know, out pops my crate of like a hundred records or whatever. And I'm just thinking, wow, the decision process of you stepping up and going like, this is what I'm going to play. You know, if you've got twelve records, that's basically twenty four tunes in dub plate and cutting terms. Do you know what I mean? You, you basically decided this is my set before you've left the house and i could never do that and it's just a, it's just different psychologies for different things you know what i'm saying me neither and this is i mean this is okay now we're into the we're, now we're right into it because these are like these are the these are the deep issues when it comes to djing and music and everything and i i'm a hundred percent with you i well first of all i really miss the physical dj crate i mean it was a pain in the ass but i found that 
that that process of selecting those 90 records or whatever, especially before I left home with different types of shows, because I was never one to, you know, I would play, there'd be a small show for a hundred people and then there'd be a giant festival. And then, and I found that the process that in advance programming and the decisions you had to make and the projecting forward in your head and the imagining the different scenarios, that was pretty much DJing for me. Once it moved digital and once it was a question of thousands and thousands of tracks. And I know for myself, I struggled with it more in terms of, I guess I, in a weird way, I got lazier about making those hard decisions. No, me too. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, it's like the analogy is the same of like, why did Pete Rock make the SP12 sing or Jay Diller make the MPC 3000 or you know, Kenny Dope, the MPC or whatever. It's like... the Limitation. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, if you or I work, walk into a studio that's got every piece of kit ever, we might spend like four weeks getting the hi-hat sound right instead of working on the idea. And, and, and the same thing is true with records. It's like, even if you were one of those people that took the kitchen sink, you know, and you had like a hundred records in a crate or you had two crates back in the days when you were allowed to do that, you know, on aeroplanes <laughs> and stuff... I like, never went two crates for the record. At I never the end went of the day, crate. even you've got one crate, two crates, there's still a limit. There's still like a picture frame that you have to work within. So, you know, you know where the edges of that are. As soon as you take the edges away and it's infinite, then that choice element becomes a problem. Of course, if then you're suddenly thrown into an after party that feels like a wedding set or something and you're like, oh, I wish I had Grace Jones pull up to the bar or whatever and then boom, there it is. You know, that's when you win, obviously, to have all the choice you can have. But I totally can, I totally relate in terms of making decisions as you go in terms of preparing. And I think that that's really what takes the time. But DJing, you know, that you're you're really into the area. I mean, maybe we've jumped off the deep end straight away into the <laughs> philosophy of DJing because for me, you know, there's two types of, of playing, isn't there? There's like um, a band might, you know, do the same set every night, but obviously by nature it changes because of the solos or they might change the encores or whatever. And in a way, a performance DJ that's like, let's say a scratch DJ or a turntablist or something that is being like a band. So you, you, you turn up and you, and you run these routines that you've practiced a number of times. And that's totally cool. And that's something different. But in terms of like DJing for a club space in a basement or in a nightclub or, or anything that falls under that umbrella, for me, your job is to respond to where you are in that moment. And that means that it's just a job of pure anxiety the whole time because you cannot... <laughs> ever really prepare what you're going to do of course you can have this intention of like oh, i'm excited to play this tune tonight but you don't know how exactly you're going to get there until you start i think that a lot of that the adaptability the idea of the dj adapting to his environment i find increasingly that's just a kind of old school philosophy you know it's, it's yes. a lot about when you where what you grew up with you grew up yes. with the idea that the dj was far more a component part and that your job was to essentially adapt to the situation two things that you just talked about one is that the bigger it gets the more prepared it should be and it doesn't matter anymore so like yeah you know like if you're in a room <laughs> yes for, for, do you know what i'm saying like but literally yeah, yeah, totally. like in an incremental way you could draw it on a graph it's just like and then finally when you're in front of a hundred thousand people and the first person in in the first row is 25 feet away then in a sense 
press it, play. Yeah, in a way, it is a performance. Do work on it, prepare it, because it doesn't matter. You're not responding. You know, you know straight away what the parameter will be. The only thing that could possibly change is that it might like rain or something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You like, know what? You know what? I I sincerely wish. First of all, I, that's a brilliant way to put it, and I really wish. I met you 15 years ago and you told me that because, because I, well, it's not about me and I'll, I'll skip this, but definitely the, the, the scaling up, as you just described from the 200 person to the 50,000 person in terms of how prepared you should be and how, how much less there is to change to, I always struggled with. And I never really, I never really mastered what just became incredibly obvious as you said it well well i mean you know as someone who's you we can also talk in in that respect about like dj reverence and how you know just to explain the psychology of how you could literally be on stage in new zealand to twenty thousand people or whatever country i just picked new zealand out of the blue but like somewhere i remember doing that and it was amazing because when people think giant parties they think new zealand yeah i you know you could be on stage and play for twenty thousand people and really not you feel adrenaline but not really nervous and then you could go and play at a kind of dj heads party at miami winter music conference and 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 you're nervous nervous oh yeah because like kenny dopes in the booth or something but the the other element i wanted to pick up on which you're so right about, is about the era that you come up in. And I want a disclaimer that, you know, me saying that what's right for me is responding to the moment is not the same thing as me saying, and that's what it should be, or they don't make them like they used to anymore. And I've I've really let go of that idea because everyone's reality of what a DJ is is different. Like if you walk up, um, I don't know, if you walk up Oxford Street in London or whatever the equivalent major road is near you in your city or town, and you ask one person, what is jazz? Someone might say Kenny G. Do you know what I mean? Mm. If, if you yeah. ask the next person who, what's jazz, they might say Albert Isler or Pharaoh Sanders. You ask the next person what's jazz, they're going to say something like three musics, which basically have pretty much nothing in common, apart from the fact that they're broadly under an umbrella. The same is true of what people think about DJing now. So the moment that the penny dropped for me was when I went to Hardfest in LA, right? And I was I was DJing um, this festival called Hardfest, and it was sort of like I guess you could say the peak of the growth of American EDM. I don't know how to explain it other than to say like after I finished my set, these two guys I know who are really cool said, "Oh, have you not been to the main stage yet?" And I was like, "What? I thought this was a main stage." <laughs> and and basically, I was in an you know an air hangar and. There were some very cool people there in the middle of the day looking at me. I didn't think they quite understood what I did, but I also understood that at a place like that, it's not really about what's coming out the speaker and more about are you famous and do I know you sort of thing. But mm. I but I kind of, I went to, um, they took me to, to the main stage and the main stage was basically in a baseball stadium. I mean, I'm assuming you've been to Hardfest and you've yeah, seen yeah. that thing, right? And the penny dropped for me when I watched all these kids, and the reason I say kids is because literally kids, like underage, under the legal age of drinking in the US, realized that actually nothing about what was going on there at all had any relationship whatsoever to club culture or nightclubs. And that it's my bad because I've constantly been associating DJs with clubs. 
DJs with nightclubs. DJ equals that. You know what I mean? And in actual yeah. fact, to those kids, they'd never been to a nightclub. Do you know what I'm I saying? I had a similar experience, specifically American as well. I remember uh, I had, I went to that one in Las Vegas. I played uh, Wow. I've never been to EDC. that EDC. I'd love to go just for the spectacle. Well, I played EDC once. I yep. played Actually, I remember thinking, actually, this is closer to what I remember from uh, like a band like Corn yep. or Limp Biscuit. Like yep. I remember thinking like, this is actually closer to that scene and energy yeah. and probably drawing a lot of those similar types from similar situations to, it's definitely closer to that than Frankie Knuckles, you know, but to what, to what you said before about, you know, the, the six different versions of jazz. I mean, and this is definitely a strength you have. I mean, people that if you have a good, a long career and you're open-minded, you, you simply can't be a snob about no, things, you know, no, you, you just, I mean, and I, I remember for me, I mean, in the techno world, it's a real problem. You know, it's always, there's always been this current of snobbery, I think, yeah. within electronic music. And for me, I think what's so funny, this is a little anecdote, but I was, you know, I'm, I'm from the early 90s. So if I want to, you know, it's all relative, but we can play some of those old school cards if we wanted to. And I don't. But what's funny is I always remember when I was a kid. Remember that band Alternate, the rave band? Of course. Band? I mean, they so couldn't they were... be more relevant right now with the exactly. face masks. Yes, it's true. It's tr- oh my God, it's true. So there, they there should have a revival that's... right now. Maybe we can get them to number one in the charts. <laughs> there you go. That's our little coronavirus segue. Yeah. No, but uh, so I was obsessed with Alternate. I mean, I was a real raver. I mean, that's I was one of those kids. I had my gas mask, et cetera. Yeah. And so the funny thing is, I remember a few years later, I, I realized that they ripped off strings of life like they ripped off Derek may and yeah. they had ripped off all these disco uh, sorry not disco these detroit classics and so it's just funny to show you how and i was still completely passionate and i was still on you know i meant no harm and i was still on path for a career and everything but it's just you know at any given point someone's tastes can you know yeah it, it's a it's a sequence of what you hear when and 100%. that we're all on a curve you know it's it's a growing thing 100%. and so it's ridiculous to judge people by you know no. what they anyway well there's so much packed in that i mean first of all i i think people with me mistake sometimes my sort of like militant approach to being into what i'm into with snobbery the two things are so different it's almost like anti-snobbery like I'm, you know, you talk about rave culture. That is the definition of anti-snobbery. That is literally like everyone is welcome. Leave your exactly. attitude at the door. Exactly. Sexuality, race, gender, whatever. You know, it is the ultimate unifier of of things. It is not the kind of like, sorry, not tonight. Um, you're not getting in, or you know, you're not cool enough, or you don't understand, or you haven't got the reference points right enough. And in a sense, the innocence of that rave era that you're talking about is totally punk DIY rap hip-hop sampling it's it's completely like yeah yeah that's cool let's just lift that and then add this and da 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 and the innocence of that you know what i was going to say about crossover groups are very important because the 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 equivalent for me over here was probably like you know um klf and um you know i'm i'm a I'm obsessed with KLF for yeah. the record. I mean, we'll, that we'll is a, a, that's a podcast in itself for sure. Um, but they're, I mean, they're, very probably, important. they're probably my number one. I mean, they... yeah, but think about it. Like when I was sort of 10 years old, KLF was at like number one or something with 3AM Eternal. I mean, I, oh I bought God. the seven inch, you know, in the UK, there was this period, right? Where you had like S Express, you had um, KLF, you had 
uh, what else, like Snap, a bit later. You know, I'm from London and I grew up in London. My mum's side of the family is from the north. And I remember I went up there once and my cousin Dominique had this tape called, we call it Acid, spelled Acid. And they, and it had all of these, obviously must have been influenced by the Hacienda and all of that. And it was like every tune from that era. And I remember that just blew my head open. And I thought, well, this is like the music that I'm hearing on Top of the Pops, but it's almost a bit more raw or something. I didn't really have the language or the musical knowledge to decode it. But the point was, is that Top of the Pops was on every Thursday night. It's like the top 40 chart show. And all of those songs were on that show like klf were performing on that show do you know what i mean after like whitney houston or whatever you know it's and so before, it's such it's a like nuts. it's such a beautiful thought it's such a golden it's such a golden period it's such a strange yeah mixture and and such and a weird and a kind of open-mindedness it's amazing to think of yeah to be clear about the fact that there is no snobbery around whatever your unique thumbprint of discovery is because we can learn so much from a different version you know what i'm saying it's like and and how interesting to think about you know i talk about this a lot recently that the sort of internal compass that is set by the uniqueness of your own experience like you've ended up where you are because of the incredible city that you're from and your version of raven whatever and everyone has that unique thumbprint so your internal compass is usually kind of set towards what inspired you and so it's you know it's no coincidence that not only i'm djing but i'm also known for doing the radio because the radio informed so much of my music knowledge you know and 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 the metric that inspires you like for for a dj that's coming up now it would be totally reasonable for them to think that the metric is numbers or followers mm. or likes or whatever it might be, or to be big, inverted commas. You know, whereas my set of metrics, just because of where I am coming from in terms of my experience of underground music and all the rest of it, was more like approval or, yeah, yeah. Oh um, my God. you know, like credibility. Like Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's like yeah, if, course, if, if someone course. I respected came up and was like, yeah, you smash, you know, good set of or course. whatever, that was worth like a million likes. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, what you just said about the metrics is so true. I mean, I often, when people ask me like, what motivates me in studio? You know, like, what am I thinking when I make tracks? And the honest answer is, I'm thinking about like a couple of very specific people that i care about mm. just looking at me and being like that's dope yeah like exactly that, that's that's like for me the ultimate is you know that clip there's that that jay-z and timbaland clip you know where uh, have you ever seen that one where so. jay-z is going tim is playing him a bunch of beats like oh yeah 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 from fade to black yeah yeah and he plays yes. um dirt and off his shoulder yeah, yeah yeah yes and you can tell that he's been kind of you can <laughs> exactly and he's got the jug and you can tell he's kind of been waiting like he knows yeah, yeah. it's gonna kill it you know the science of and when then, to play that one as well that's a dj move not playing it straight away a that's a move. dj move play him the beat the fourth beat in not the first beat Do you know what i mean exactly like, no nah, just kind of wet his appetite but the look in J when jay-z's face kind of freezes that's what I want. Yeah, like, that yeah, is yeah, all yeah. I want. And I and I don't want it from everybody. I don't even care about it from everybody. I want it from a couple of the real ones, you know? Okay, so we better talk about radio. I mean, this might sound stupid. Well, it doesn't sound stupid. Do you, I assume you love the radio, right? I do love the radio, yeah. 
And I don't know, I guess I want to ask you, like, who did you listen to when you were a kid? Well, the radio feeling started before I can even remember. I can remember making pause button cassettes in my original house before my we moved and parents separated. Uh, and that means I must have been like four or five. And I, c- I can remember clearly, you know, being allowed one cassette to record and working out how to like you know the DJing thing and the radio and all the rest of it fused together because you know this is a very personal story and it's probably really boring to listen to but I'll try and say it really quickly my mom had this old like a Sony hi-fi right which was like this old you know the old Sony hi-fi had the turntable on the top the belt drive thing on the top and then it had the two cassettes it had the tuner and it had the CD in the bottom right and okay there were four really chunky kind of like plastic buttons that you could you would select the source right so you'd choose tape or cd or whatever and i found this magic point on this machine where if you held two buttons simultaneously you'd get one thing in the left speaker and one thing in the right speaker so you're mixing and so before i even understood that i was mixing i was trying to mix what was happening on the radio with a record or i'd blend out of a record into what was happening on a you know and i was doing that influenced by the radio but the great thing is about that age is that you don't have a label for things. Like when, you know, Electro was happening and all of that and, you know, Breakdance the movie and, you know, Bambata and all those things were happening on the TV and the radio. I, I just used to call that Breakdance music. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know it was called Electro or whatever. And the same thing is true. I wasn't like saying, oh, this is Rare Groove and that's Acid House. I just, it was just music. And so I was so lucky to grow up in London because... Uh, at that era you know I didn't really differentiate between legal stations and pirates but of course as I got older I realized there's a big difference and so I would listen to John Peel and I'd listen to even Capital and you know legal radio and then there was just on the on the pirate side of things it was just ridiculous I mean it was the golden era you know the late late late, you had Kiss when it was pirate before it went legal and I mean there's too many influences to mention but you know, it's an interesting thing to look at, you know, retrospectively, like, why have I ended up where I am? And that's because that particular medium in that era when I was just like, I'm on the planet to do music, I am soaking this up like a sponge, you know, was imagine like some kids have books or or video games or things that make their world come alive at night. For me, it was just a crappy little portable radio, you know, and 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 that was my musical education and what's really interesting as well is that so many tunes whether it be like Adonis or Pal Joey or whatever I listened to those on the radio years before I could hear them in a club you know you'd yeah, listen to Run DMC like like uh, I, I like to think I was I was thinking of this recently because during the quarantine you know there's a lot of there's a lot of talk like even people making tracks and they're making bangers or club tracks and they're thinking, okay, maybe we shouldn't put them out because there isn't the environment for it. And then I was thinking about like, when you're a kid, you're, you're listening to all that stuff. You're going crazy with fantasies in your head and the excitement or whatever with absolutely no idea of where that actually lives. I mean, it's not. And, and I think that's something people kind of i think we've forgotten that a little bit just because of how saturated nightlife like how it's become such a big normal mainstream thing that we forget that you know it can exist in the fantasy world as it does when you're a kid when you don't you don't know i was the same thing i remember 
I remember mm. I heard about the word rave and I didn't know. I was like, and I remember for a while using the word. You yeah. know, a kid says a word that they don't really. I was like, I'm going to go to a rave one day. And just, you know, no yeah. idea. I mean, talking of rave, I remember buying Sweet Harmony by Liquid on a 12 inch. This is definitely the first time I ever came across XL Records. And, you know, I was a teenager by then, probably, or early teens or whatever. But I just remember it being. I wasn't listening to it from the perspective of this is music that you have to be in a field raving to or in a nightclub dancing to. It was just incredible, you know, I, I, and I think that that in a way all of those records stand the test of time because of that. I was just going to ask you when the first time you remember sharing music. Boy. That moment where you declare, I found this. I think it's amazing and I want you to hear it. And it could be to your parents. It could be yeah. to a kid at school because I really think that is, it's so deep in the DNA of what we do, you know? Yeah. Honestly, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm going to try and think in real time of important moments. And I think, I think maybe I never really did share those tapes, but also I also had an uphill struggle in the schools that I went to because what, by the time I was in secondary school here, which is like, I don't know, you know, in international terms, I guess it's like high the 13, 14 high school time. It was the height of grunge. And so everyone was just into that. And I was into other stuff. And it was hard to find people in stuff. But if you dial back a long time before that in primary school, I think the answer is public enemy. The, the sharing it didn't happen straight after the discovery. But if I had to like narrow it down to one thunderbolt lightning strike to my head that literally took my head clean off and changed my DNA forever. Okay, yeah, yeah, I like this. <laughs> it's, it's public enemy. And mm. I just will never forget that my... I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I, I'm with you 100%. Oof. I mean, <laughs> just I've never really dialed it back to this moment until you've asked me this question, but I remember my dad used to teach on this like summer course and I used to have to go and hang out and and sort of entertain myself while he did it right and there was another kid of another parent that was teaching on it and he gave me his french kid gave me a cassette in the walkman days gave me a cassette of public enemy i think it might have been your bum rush to show it takes nation millions i can't remember but the point was is that the 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 sort of wormhole of discovery of of then buying the three records were at which were out at that time which was your bum rush to show it takes nation millions and fear of a black planet was was so monumental in terms of like piecing together this sort of montage bomb squad you know in their production probably pieced together this tapestry of all of the different things that I was listening to at the time or had listened to at that time up until that point in my life anyway and made something so new and so radical with it that it was the lightning strike to my head and so the reason I'm raising that is because I remember being in the playground with a Walkman trying to get people to listen to it Okay, and, there you go. That's and, what I mean. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't think, pe and people weren't really on it. You know what I mean? People were like, mm. uh, yeah, yeah, cool. You know, but they weren't. Mm. But you know, when you're trying to be like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> of course. Well, that's, but that, but that, that thing of no, 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 you don't understand is your career. I mean, in, in essence, yeah. I think, I think that, that is the nucleus of a lot of, of the desire to, hey, every, like, check this out. You will not believe how good it is, you know? You know, it's always dangerous with like super nostalgic kind of moments, but I want to present them as moments of excitement, 
that are still relevant to whatever is exciting today. You know, like it's it's not it's not it's not. I'm not saying oh they don't make them like they used to on any level. It's just that that was my version of like awakening. Do you know what I mean? Was the bomb squad basically? But but I do think though. But there is okay. This is a whole other podcast. The thing about you know, do they Seems, make them like they used to? Should we do a series? Maybe <laughs> we should do ten. <laughs> well, we could easily do a whole podcast about it takes a nation of millions. I mean, for me, that was also one of the records that blew me away. I do think, at risk of sounding a little bit like Abraham Lincoln, you know, oh, I did my homework under a candle, etc. I mean, it's hard to overstate how much is in those records. Like yeah. it is not just, it, it's, it was such a window into worlds you didn't know existed. It's so yeah. dense with meaning. It hits so hard performance, the visual, the S one W's, the Everything. uniforms, the fashion. Imagine me at eight years old learning about, um, or 10 years old, however Farrakhan. old I was learning about <laughs> Louis Farrakhan for the first time. That's I how know. I know who that is. Same I, you know, here. civil rights knowledge, um, you know, American history was taught to me by Public Enemy and Chuck D in particular way before any teacher exactly. even put a book under my nose about it. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. just want I have to add a tiny anecdote. I was obsessed with Public Enemy and my grandmother worked in New York at a watch factory, Boulevard Watches, and I got her to find to get me a giant clock that I could wear around my <laughs> oh, neck. <God>. Yeah. <laughs> so I Where's also the pulled the there's no pictures. I don't even thank God. But mm. I also was at the school dance, you know, trying to thinking I was flavor flavor. Anyway, yeah. is there before we get to the music? Just one thing: was there a specific? Was there ever a specific DJ that uh, that you loved, or that made you think you could do what you do, or just inspired you? Yeah, there was later in life, like in terms of when you get to know what actual DJs are, and you go to actual clubs and you engage with actual real DJ sets. But in terms of the subconscious like thing of I want a DJ is way before that and I think that you might have to I think it's a couple of things I think you'd have to mention Public Enemy again because as soon as you you know a big part of the imagery of seeing anything to do with them is Terminator X behind that huge X oh yes you know and Terminator X isn't or wasn't the best DJ in the world but the point is is it was a DJ making things happen at the back of the stage show you know when you'd see the stage shows and you would do your research and you'd get the magazines and you'd see the album cover or whatever and then there was even a song called terminator x speaks with his hands yeah and terminator x the edge of panic and there's that skit from the hammersmith odeon where he cuts up the kind of like uh, funky drummer break beat oh yeah and 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 everyone's going crazy and then there's the siren going and it's just like it i mean that probably aged eight or nine or ten was like what is a dj i want to do that and then simultaneously um when i was about seven for a couple of years my dad moved to west london where there's notting hill carnival and he was only there at his friend's place for a couple of years but um i loved it when he was there and he took me to my first ever carnival age seven or eight and i think that if i really think back to sort of eight nine ten going to that and seeing a sound system before you really know what a DJ is, all you know is that someone's playing a record really loud. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you look at that and think, I think that subconsciously seeing all the sort of DJs at, at Carnival or, you know, or all the floats or people with the sound systems in the street probably had an effect on me too. The, the idea of this show is, I made it before the pandemic. 
I guess I didn't realize how prophetic the idea of a final party would be. Mm-hmm. But now, so the idea is basically, they're really hard for DJs to choose and it's a bit ridiculous, but your dream party, or in this case, maybe your first big party back, the idea is to choose some key records that mean something for you. And so we'll begin with uh, what would what to you is a dream opening record? <laughs> you know, what's really funny is I totally mis- misread the, <laughs> I totally misread the me- memo, which is actually kind of cool because I'm, less prepared so it's more pure okay. but i i what i was thinking on the way here today was that i was programming the final party on earth so i was coming up with this like mad lineup in my head and what the venue oh. would be and da, 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 da. and then okay, i okay, okay. and then i we came and i was like oh it's my i'm djing and i suddenly thought wow that's an interesting question if it was the last party on earth would i want a dj well, I love the idea that you considered just going to the party rather yeah, than DJ. I think if it was the last party on earth, that might make me, if I could curate the party and be with all my friends and. Okay, well, we can do that. Did, so you mean? So you mean you worked on a lineup, for example? Well, only in my head, but yeah, right. So basically, I'm cycling to my studio at the moment. So I thought about this on the way, right? And I thought let's create some parameters first of all to make it easier and the first parameter is everyone's going to be alive so it's not living or dead it's people that we could actually book for a real party okay okay and (laughs) and um no live music because that just makes it way too complex way too wide because then i'm going to be like and stevie wonder plays at sunrise yeah, and yeah, you know no, it's no, like and no, way, no, okay and way too much production headache. yeah 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 you don't, you don't, really you don't need that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So we're just, you know, seeing as we're kind of this podcast about DJ culture to some extent, we're going to make it about DJ culture, right? And I kind of want it to be in a big, somewhere between like an amazing house, like a house party style, but a bit more warehousey than house. Okay. Because we're going to need at least... I don't know how many rooms we're going to need, but this is going to be a multi-room party, okay? So I'm going to create the different sort of chambers of my mind. <laughs> okay, so that I'm, very, I'm very happy with how this is going, by the way. I'm, okay, I'm good. Just, I'm, I just put my feet up and I'm just, I, I threw the notes on the floor and I'm just... No, no, we it. can do my records too. We can do my records too. Um, I would like it so that whatever room you go into, it's perfect at all times of the night. You know what I mean? And you're not going to be able to witness everything, but wherever you are will be perfect for that night. And and this is my perfect lineup. And I did this on the way here. So this is there's going to be people that I've missed and whatever. First room we're going to have is the basement. Actually, let's just start downstairs and we'll work our way up. This is the warehouse, right? Like the basement this, warehouse? This is the warehouse. Yeah, I think like... It kind of needs to be a bit unrealistic in the sense that some of the rooms are a bit more down and dirty and some of them are a bit more, you know, souped up and a bit more styly and stuff. It, but it's we'll, fantasy, so it's it's all doable. Down in the basement, you've basically got the old Plastic People sound system, which is a club that I used to go to in London. It was run by a guy called Ade, and it was the best small, small club sound system in the world. Um, and so we're reviving that sound system you know, which is a function one, but he did it in a particular way in that room, which was just unbelievable. We're going to have one red light on the ceiling, and it's going to be Theo Parrish, Josie Rebel, um, maybe Floating Points, okay, Gerd Janssen, okay, 
Um, and maybe Ade himself, who used to run plastic and would always play on these like crazy EMT turntables or whatever. This is like the basement session, um, like session session for the dancers, you know, like uh, and and then maybe at the end of the night for like the sort of like sun's coming up moment, even though you're in the basement, you don't realize it will have like Giles <laughs> or, you know, a, a selector. So we go upstairs and then we're into a big room. We're into a big room with, you know, some a bit of production, but mostly around the sound system. And we're going to have a sound system that's like a Gary Stewart style sound system that's somewhere between Sound Factory Bar and Ministry of Sound kind of vibes. Or Zook, if you've ever played there in Singapore. That, I have. That, the, or I Velvet the, Rooms or whatever, yeah. Yeah, the one where they had the record collection in the back, right? Exactly, yeah. Yes, yes. Th- that sound system in there, oh, we'll talk about it later, but mind-blowing and it was it was done five yeah podcast five (laughs) it was done by the late uh gary stewart who's you know phenomenal and in that in that room masters at work individual sets from kenny and louis and then together as masters at work and dj ez okay and that's it and maybe we've got a maybe maybe another couple of house djs but you know I'm, i'm going through this fast so it's more of a vibe thing you get but the masters at work zone i want like kenny going in block party style you know yeah um like the, har- the hard the harder kenny the harder Ken- like proper like ken lou kenny you know yeah ken lou kenny and then louis can do like a proper sort of new Yorkian style set like the nervous track that kind of stuff and you know some, maybe some tito puente and some on that kind of stuff and then together do the sort of like four deck or eight deck maw thing masters at work thing you know for like a good four hours um were you always into were you always into masters at work yes and so you were always into house music yes i was always when i was i was not into all house music when i was a teenager i was into the sort of todd terry kenny dope um type house music at that like the time more beat in my life. stuff more beats yeah. kind of stuff groove stuff do you know what i mean yeah the only reason I ask is because, I mean, I guess, I hope I don't now sound like a bit of a snob, but when I was young, like when, when I was really so deep into rave and techno, I always, I always, I don't know, I had a little bit of a thing like that music seemed soft to me. There was definitely a period where it it, it seemed like grown up music. No, def- definitely. And it is, you know, it well, is. Now I guess it's, it, one it of is us music is grown up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, I think in my, in my junglist and hip hop phase well it's not a phase that's a lifetime i'm still that person but in in the times when i was just like listening to mob deep on the way to going to a jungle rave or whatever then yes i agree that certainly what we used to refer to as commercial house or mainstream house or whatever was sort of the enemy in a way you know it wasn't mm, yeah that's it, i i exist that's what it sounds ridiculous to say it now yeah but there definitely was a period that's something that's long forgotten i don't yeah think it's anyone... long forgotten yeah but it's but there was so many exceptions to that because you know it's 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 hard to describe isn't it i mean house music again goes to that yeah, point it's, about it's what's, a childish what's house it, music it was it was it was a childish way of looking at it and especially now when i listen i mean now every Almost every record I love is almost built on Todd Terry beats, you know. Yeah. It's it's, it's yeah. ridiculous that I ever thought that. But. And then, you know, for those of us in the UK, DJ EZ is... Legend. Is Speed Garage, is UK Garage. Mm. And 
you know, UK Garage, as you know, is not just music from UK, it's music from the US sped up in a way that we play the records, or more specifically, he plays the records. And just from a technical standpoint and an energy standpoint, it's just, there's no, there, it, you know, technically speaking in that realm, there's no one like EZ. And also I have to program this party selfishly, but also with some friends and family in mind. And I know that everyone would be very happy if they knew that the legendary EZ was playing. So that's the sort of house and garage room, let's say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm talking to someone that would like, I can't really select the right techno thing, you know, because it's the last party on earth. We could, we could, I mean, we could have like, well, no, not a techno room, but it's like, it would be authentic to me to have like a mad mic, something like a kind of, you know, like Jeff Mills on there, Jeff Mills for sure, you know, but I just didn't know whether to put him in the same room as M.A.W. and E.Z. But we'll, yeah, let's put, let's put, let's put Jeff Mills (laughs) in there. We just just start getting really serious about it. Like, okay, wait a second. Yeah. Wait a second. No, we are. This is serious. This is science, man. It's science. We've got to get this right. It's a puzzle. Maybe we should have like um, the living room with the carpet, you know, with like one of those sort of um, Persian rugs or whatever with Jeff Mm -hmm. cross-legged on the front with the sort of eight CDJs and the mixer, you know, just doing his thing. We're going to have another room, which is going to be jungle and drum and bass. Okay. Because that era of music is so defining for me on so many levels that, you know, I'm programming this party you know, for everyone, but also a bit selfishly as well, because it's my last party on earth. So, you know, I'm going to have DJ Zinc doing a 95 jungle set. I'm going to have DJ Ron doing classic jungle and the full cycle boys from Bristol doing their classics like Ronnie crust and die. And then Mm. I'm going to have DJ Randall. Oh, I remember Randall doing a metalheads era set. I'm going to have DJ Fabio doing a speed era set which is the club he used to do with Danny Bookham in London and and Groove Rider doing a sort of Metalheads era set as well because like you know really if if I say who are some of the most influential DJs in the world like people like Randall and Fabio I'd I'd just if they were on at four or six in the morning or something I'd you know I'd get there just for that time yeah that's how much I loved those guys you know and how much they could paint with that music I remember, uh, just it's a slow salad, but for me personally, I mean, F- Fabio specifically was like a, a star. I, he I really is a like, star for sure. He's, yeah, I mean, I, I never met him, I never, but I remember as a, as a kid I and mean, with all the cassettes and everything, and like how he looked, the whole thing, he was like a proper, he had real charisma. I really, I really, I think I even, you know, kind of like wanted to be a bit like Fabio. That didn't pan out so much for me. But <laughs> well, no, Fab- <laughs> Fabio is definitely. If 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 I was to pick, you know, my top five inspirational DJs that influenced me, he's without question in there, because not only has he always carved his own lane within one particular genre. You know, what higher compliment that can you pay to someone mm. than being able to hear their sound? without even hearing them DJ. You know what Fabio stands for in music. Do you know what I mean? You know you know what his sound is within a particular genre and he's always managed to find music. He's not stayed still. He's always evolved with the music and there's always been Fabio music to be found within his style of DJing. And also, I, like you, used to go to, you know, I'd go to Blue Note, to Metalheads. And I, I peer, went once. I know, went once. Yeah, I peer over the decks <laughs> when Fabio was, you know, DJing. And 
that era of DJing is so radically different to now. It it mm. was intimidating. Like oh, it yeah, was yeah, it was yeah, a house yeah, of lords. You can't just you, you can't just rock up, you know. And of all no, the it's full hierarchy. It yeah, was yeah, like yeah, completely yeah. full 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 house of lords business. And the only person of that sort of stature from when I was a kid that always used to be like, What's up, youngin? or how are you doing was Fabio. And Oh, that's good. And you know, we don't forget those things. I was a kid. I, I was a little Canadian kid. I went once to a night, I think, at the Astoria. Is that possible? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was a. It must have been, I don't know, 94 or whatever. Jungle and I went fever, to... probably. Yeah, that could have been it. And uh, do you remember Ray Keith? Of course. Terrorists. So, okay, you know. so I, I, don't, I don't know much of him, but I went to the bathroom and I was probably, I don't know if I was whatever. I don't know what state I was in exactly. I was, I mean, I was young and I come from Canada and you'd save all your money and you, you know, I didn't know anybody. I mean, you're a complete punter, you know, and I went to the bathroom and Ray Keith comes in to, to go to the bathroom next to me to take a piss. Mm-hmm. And I, cause he had been playing or, or he was, or he just finished something. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And I, I was right next to him and I said, you know, I don't know. I said something like, Hey man, like, wow, I love your music. And he told me, he said, fuck off kid. I'm taking a piss. <laughs> I've got, Straight. Like just, I've got a good it. one for you on Reiki, right? <laughs> if you want to have that experience every week. Well, basically when I was at school, the only time you could go to record shops was on Saturdays, unless you were punking off school. And, so I would go to Black Market Records every Saturday. And downstairs, the good so cop, Nikki? bad cop routine okay. was Nicky okay. Black Market and Ray Keith. Oh, so is Nicky good cop? Yeah, because he, he was always in the sort of like Tintin jumper or the iceberg kind of like bright colored thing. He'd be like, morning, everyone. Blah, blah. And then it was pretty intimidating down there. And then, I went yeah, a couple yeah, of times. It was, I mean, it was louder than most nightclubs. And, you know, it, on a Saturday morning, it would be just packed. And when you got a spot at the front of the counter, if you managed to get your sort of elbow space at the front of the counter, Ray Keith would literally put a, you know, a penny on the top of the needle because all those records were cut so loud. You know, sometimes I think probably put a pound on it or whatever, and he put it on, and um, and he'd just put on these white labels, and then he'd just look down the row. You know, he just looked down the row of kids, of which I was one, and you just had to nod if you wanted it. <laughs> yeah. And the number of times I probably just bought something because I wanted to be cool is, is funny. But, you know. I remember I would go to record stores. I learned this later because I owned my own store for a long time. And there was an entire art form to basically ditching. Like, you get a pile of records with, like, the banjo sample in it. And yeah, you just yeah. you know you just play like the three seconds before the banjo and the three seconds, like, way after the banjo. And the kid gets home... And he plays, he's like, what the hell? I just bought a record so with mean. a banjo in it. Yeah. It's so mean. It's so mean. But whatever, you were you were there for, it was just nice for that moment of entering the hierarchy, you know, where you, yeah. get, you get blessed with the record. I mean, anyway. the thing is, is that every, you know, every person will talk about the music that was happening when they were 15, 16 as the best music that ever happened. So it's very hard for me to have an objective viewpoint on drum and bass in the UK at that time. But to be honest, I do think it was the best shit ever. <laughs> you know, I yeah. do think it was the one of the most innovative times in music and one of the most, like, progressive times in music. If you think about a lot of the records that were made by Dillinger or Fotec or Adam F at that time, mm. they would stand up next to a Timberland production, oh, sonic-wise. Yeah. They would Definitely. stand up next to a Neptune's production. They are at the absolute sort of bleeding edge of 
development, progression, creation in music. And being right in the epicenter of that as a punter, not in the DJ booth, as a fan on the dance floor. That's how I felt. I felt like that with Rave. Like I went to Love Parade in Berlin early, early years. But I think the thing is, we're not going to get stuck in the whole old versus now thing. But what is no, no. clear is, what, but what people do sometimes forget is just the awesome power of when something is really new. It's not a yep. variation. It's new. Like I always use the example of like, you know, I remember when the first color flyer got printed in Montreal. So <laughs> wow. You know, that makes you sound really old. <laughs> I know, but, but it is true. I mean, they were do you remember, flyers. Do you remember when they brought color TV out? <laughs> I remember when I stopped sending my friends tele, telex, you know. <laughs> I remember I when remember they. When the I remember when we used to sit around the wireless. We used to sit around the wireless, <laughs> yeah, and that was a night it out. Is. <laughs> it is basically the same thing. No, but what I mean is, like, not to make it too dumb, but yeah. drum and bass, you had never heard anything like it. Gotta see one thing because because it, it pops up all the time. So you spend most of your life and your career is based on new music, on finding great new music that excites you and putting yeah. it out there. How do you balance out when obviously so much is about finding the new and also you have all this, you have this crazy history with all these tracks that you love and yeah. mean so much to you? I think it depends on the environment. It's all about con context, you know. The reason I'm, I'm selecting these DJs for this last night on earth is because it's our last night on earth. So I've got to go with an absolute dead cert and there is a, a cocktail of reliable, familiar and also... Um, classics you know and 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 there is an element of nostalgia because it's our last party on earth that's why this lineup is as it is is because yeah, it, you know so it's it's not it, the last party on earth is maybe not the time for you know an experimental drone set of someone you've never heard before do you know what i mean it's like but <laughs> be like but <laughs> but like if this last, was just thursday at sonar then i'd be up hear. for checking it out with you do you know what i mean it's mm. like yeah, yeah it's it's all about it's all about context. So in my own sets, I guess I meant, I just meant it more for your own sets. You know, like when I know loads of DJs, you know, they have no problem playing, uh, you know, they'll throw on Blue Monday. And I've always mm. been like, I can't, you know, I, I just, yeah. I can't do it. And I mean, if it was your wedding line, and you asked you know? me to play, I'd play Blue Monday. But I think that, you know, there's this weird thing that happened where sort of wedding only, New Year's Eve only, special occasions and birthdays only type records started Bled to seep into, into yeah, exactly. quote unquote regular DJ sets and that's just the exact same feeling that you get of dopamine when someone likes your picture on Instagram or something it's just like mm. of course you exactly. can play but Blue Monday everyone's going ah! and you're exactly. like oh wow that was good maybe I should do that tomorrow you know and no I don't that makes me uncomfortable yeah exactly so I, I'm I'm with you on that at the same time you know, people there's need no, to have fun. There's no way of um, <laughs> there's no way of articulating or explaining the invisible science of why a record can be revived at a particular time and why it can't. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. there's certain times where records are rinsed and you can't go near it, and then there's a time where, you know, like I played Shades of J, Moody Man, the other day, and it was perfect. You know, there was a period where you couldn't play that you know or you couldn't play a certain joy orbison tune or you couldn't play a certain what's wrong with playing like adonis no way back at the perfect time in a new music set nothing yeah, i do that is one i do play exactly me too so it's about simply because it hasn't been bettered 
The yeah, template exactly. has not been bettered and sonically it hasn't been bettered. It exactly. just works. So the honest answer to your question is there's no easy way to explain mm. why some old records like if we take a pause from the ultimate party for a second and I say, okay. you know, I was trying to think about these three records, like what's an ultimate peak time record, right? If we just go to peak time record, one of the records that came to mind is an almost like not a peak time record, but for me it is a peak time record and that's Carl Craig Sandstorms. And the reason for that is it's like, it's so not a peak time, hands in the air tune. But if you play that tune at the right time, in the right moment, timing wise, at the right time, it is literally like you can't, that you can't find a record to follow it with. Do you know what I mean? It's that powerful. If you drop that in the right time. That's also a serious compliment. Yeah. And so in a way, I really like records like that, which are always about how do you play it. Like Sandstorms is probably always in my box, but it probably gets played one in 50 DJ sets because it doesn't always get to the point where it's right to play that. But when it is right to play that, boy, big tune. if I take a 30 second break to go to to see Ray Keith in the bathroom for a sec <laughs> no no go uh, for it uh, that sounded terrible didn't it you know what I meant <laughs> no, if you haven't no, been I listening mean, up until this point it was a reference to a previous I might, anecdote no I might just start with that <laughs> so there's no context and then <laughs> All right, just rant. this is how it starts I'll back in back in 20 seconds hold on if you'd like to hear what Benji B's all-star last party on earth actually sounds like We've set up a SoundCloud link with DJ sets from all 31 of Benji's picks. Check it out on my SoundCloud page. So where were we, my friend? We were in, think, we were in this I ultimate think, uh, party I and I hadn't even into, finished the rooms. I think you're into room three. I mean, into or room four three. if okay. you consider Jeff on the carpet. Yeah, okay. A room. Oh, you were about to, you, No, sorry, you were, doing your, you were doing the drum and bass room. Yeah, I mean, room. Drum and bass is probably the the reality is if I, I put this party on, you'll probably find me in there for a lot of the night. You know, creating a space uh, for music can actually create or at least support and develop a whole new genre. You know, um, just like you said, oh, when I'm making this tune, if these one or two notable people I respect give me a nod and say, yeah, that was cool, then that'll be more important to me than you know money or whatever it the same is true of people making tunes for spaces like if you think talk yes, to the number yes, of producers yes, yes, yes. that like 100%. cut tunes for metalheads or cut tunes for forward or cut tunes for i'm just using those two examples because it's no no 100 but, but it doesn't matter pick any club regular club night around the world in japan or america whatever 
is like if someone's make, regularly making songs with a specific club space in mind and other people are doing the same thing and that's DJs are playing there that's as a, a resident. That's how a movement is born. Exactly. And that's, that, that's part of the innovation, do you know what I mean? I know for myself, I think definitely the best records I ever made were with a specific uh, club in mind. And, yeah. and I think without that, I think when, when scenes lose that focal point, oftentimes it's very difficult uh, for the producers to replicate it. You know, that's when people start noodling. They lose yeah. some of that focus, you know. Or it just becomes bigger. That's another thing in club culture. The idea mm. that the only point is to become bigger, not necessarily better, but bigger. Mm. Everything just has to start and then go big, 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 big. And then you do podcast, your podcast you, seven. Yeah, podcast seven. All right. Room number whatever we're into. Um, we're going to do we're going to have to have like a block party style hip hop meets block party and breaks and disco, you know, that kind of room. And for that, we have to have like J-Rock, Clark Kent, Jazzy Jeff, Tony Touch, some of the best people to do it in that realm. And, you know, that that's where you're going to have some hip hop classics, but also some, you know, some breaks and some turntablism going on and some dancers and that kind of thing. And then um, also on this on this sort of like ground floor, which is really important, there's going to be one room that's just a sound system room. And in that room, I mean, traditionally, the three people I'm going to list would bring their own sound system. They might have to agree on which sound system they're going to use, or maybe all three of them will bring their own, and it can be a sort of, I don't know, in the room thing. But it would be Jar Shaka, Mikey Dread of Channel One, and Abashanti. And those three sort of sound men selectors had a huge influence on me over the years of going to hear them and their own custom-built sound systems and the way that they play records. And they, they all play records in a sort of steppers-type tempo as well, which is dance music. To me, that's my trance music. I was never into mm. trance, like what people think of like Armin van Buren. You know, I respect everything that those guys do, but it's just not for me whatsoever. That's my trance music. Yeah, I actually, it's funny you say that. Trance became... Uh... Trance became like a noun, you know, like a like yeah. a, with a capital T. When actually, it's 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 a verb, you know. It's like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, this. Yeah. And you and it's funny you say that because I know it's not the same as them. But during the quarantine, I've been just obsessed with dancehall and dub. It's very it's like church. Those people, like you know, when you see people getting lifted at those sound systems, it is literally like church. It's like mm. they're. I mean, you know, they would hate to hear that, but you know what I mean. It's like it is. Or maybe they wouldn't. It's a spiritual thing. It is. Mm. It puts you in a trance. That music, and yeah. the reason it's important, they have their own sound. That's you know. the room I'm going to be in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, I used to go to Jar Shaka on Holloway Road in in London. I go to see Abashanti wherever I can, but most notably at Carnival. And it's not just the music; it's the physical aspect. It's like the whole of your insides are shaking, and then he puts the bass in. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. It's like yeah. it's it's um it's a physical experience and it's a science experience as well because the way that they build their cabinets and sound systems is unique to them. A lot of the sound boxes and everything is handmade and 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 so we've all you know if you come up in London on some level you're subconsciously influenced by that culture. But those three in particular, I really love and respect. I think it's just like how we started the show, just that idea of. 
where music fits in in your own personal priority list. I think that culture, even, I don't know much about it, I've always been an outsider to that, but it just seems like the attention to detail and the and just how much it matters is so high that the end result is just so yeah pure in a way you know like it's so well that's the other thing that's that's maybe another that's podcast number nine isn't it is um <laughs> which just we, is got, we the, almost have the season mapped out we have the season i i think the title of podcast number nine is the frequency of intention because mm. you know when you are it could be as something as simple as going to cut a track that you're particularly in love with or that you've put a lot of care into making right for that particular night or it could be you you know working on your sound system or it could be whatever the point is is that if that level extra level of intention goes into something that's an invisible frequency that comes out the speaker and that's what you're talking about tuning into with what that you is said. that is so well said i'm so happy we're talking <laughs> because i know that's that just yeah that just really crystallized so much for me it is exactly that. It is the attention, the intention, and the attention to detail. When when you just roll up, and and I've done this, you know, I've I'm, done I it. think we've all done. We've all know, done it. When you just I roll don't even up, know exactly what you're about to say. Yeah, and exactly. I know I've done it. Exactly. We've all done it. When you just roll up with it, and you're not really in it, and you're kind of going through the motions, and you're sort of running those three mixes that you know kind of worked pretty well when you were in the other place last week, and. Uh, that frequency is not there and therefore the connection with it is different so intention is a frequency how you uh, describe the thing of the of the sound system room and the the beauty of that and the, the hidden intention is really something uh, i'm gonna it's yeah. definitely gonna fuel the rest of my day will it last till tomorrow <laughs> that is that is a separate conversation you, we've, only you got, finish your we've only got two rooms to go i've actually <laughs> can picture it in my head now We've done the main rooms, haven't we? Done the basement. We've done the big house and garage room. We've done the sort of block party, hip hop breaks, disco. We've done the drum and bass and jungle room. And then we've got the sound system session. Now off round the corner in the kind of like, I don't know, where the friends and family bit, the backstage bit, the kitchen bit is. I think one thing that we have to hopefully agree on, hopefully you'll agree with me. Did you say, sorry, did you say kitchen? Yeah. We're in the sort of like, you know, if it was a house party, this would be near the kitchen bit. Well, well, this is sort of like the heads room. I think it probably have like only a couple of hundred people in it. But we have to, seeing as we're talking so much and indulging so much about DJ culture, we have to take a moment to recognize that some of the best DJs in the world are not the famous ones and not the ones that are household names and not the ones that are selling tickets. And this room is for them. And in my world, that's people like A-Side, my friend who I've known for 20 years, uh, Martello from London, who's a favorite. Jude, who I do my party with, got amazing selection. Um, Carista from the Netherlands, I really like her selection. Although, actually, I don't know why. She's she's actually, I'm mentioning her in terms of not being so well known. She's quite famous now. But I'm just saying, like, you know, Rada, like this, Manaray, my friend from Paris, who just plays amazing music. Like, you know, there's so many DJs that are the sort of local friends and fam DJs that that deserve to be on a lineup with these other heavyweights. And that's why I'm making this room for them. And it's also fun when it feels like community. So that's why that room's in there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I owned a big nightclub in Montreal for a while. It was like a really big club. And uh, I dreamt of being a big, fancy 
traveling DJ, but I was booking all the DJs for my club and I would pick them up at the airport. And I remember almost all of them because at that time I owned a record store. I knew all the records. I was a resident DJ. I was doing like the grunt work, you know, you're opening, you're, you're, you're doing all the hard work and then laying it on a platter for the famous guy who comes in from out of town. And I remember during all those years, it was so rare where I really thought, okay, this guy's better than me. You know, it it was, it was, and that's the, in a lot of ways, you know, the residents are really unsung heroes because they really, they're so close to what they're doing. They know the rooms so well. And it's the opposite of what you said about, you know, last minute in a hotel room, throwing 30 tracks together, you know? John Kay also, I need to respect John Kay from Manchester. He goes in that room as well. So what's the last, last room? The last room is the loft, going upstairs to the loft. Oh, the loft. Mancuso? No, he's dead, right? And in the loft, um, there's just one big disco ball, Clipshawn sound system, obviously, and... DJ Harvey all night. Simple. It's just got to be Harvey all night. Because, I mean, you don't book Harvey on a lineup. You don't give Harvey an hour set. Like, hour sets are kind of, <laughs> you know, in the drum and bass room, an hour is cool. I would. That's my last party. I just want to fuck with people. Um, Harvey, <laughs> you know, you're on from 11.15 to midnight. So what? So where do you play now? Like, apart from the big... So where do you love playing now? Right now? Yeah, like, like <laughs> no, just pick one club that you really love going back to. Okay. Um, well, right now, I mean, like everybody, the thought of a club is like so exotic. I mean, it, it's it's hard to... Mm. Um, well, I really do... It's an easy answer, but Panorama Bar in mm, Berlin... Of course, yeah. Re- really is... A, it really... I only played there three times or something, but it really was special. Um, when when uh, Whenever I've done a gig in Berlin or I've gone there or whatever, I always think I'm going to go to Panorama Bar for a couple of hours and like everyone else leave like eight hours later or whatever. Yeah. But it really, um, it is special. I mean, it really, it does live up to the... A hundred percent. And the last time I left there, I thought to myself, what a shame it is that it is so special in a sense. Like, yeah, isn't I know it, what you mean. Isn't it a shame? Because if you think, I mean... Trust me, we all have that kind of, oh, I wish I could have gone to such and such. Like, oh, I wish I was at Woodstock, you know, whatever. And my my version of I wish I was at Woodstock was obviously I wish I was, you know, at whatever, Danceteria or The World or whatever, you know, 80s kind of giant New York club I perceive to have been more important than anything else I ever witnessed in my lifetime or whatever. And that's probably not true. But that era, in terms of that... um free freeness freedom you know yeah um openness um uh i don't want to use the word anarchy because it's not right what's the right word just freedom i suppose do you know what i mean of guess what i mean is they were more unregulated they were more wild they were more um anything goes kind of thing and that's the feeling you get with panorama bar which is a really you know i mean that's berlin and then because of that feeling it feels totally safe and then it also feels like so musically informed and that kind of combination is so rare like i've heard people play unbelievable sets up there you know yeah i think also like you said there's also that thing at play the intention you know the intention that you go there with yes. as a as a as a punter you know you bring your best in a way cuz you're you know you've heard about it and you trust it the dj's that go there know they There's no bullshit. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. I'm not, you're not, you're not playing your lazy set. Yeah. You know, the hotel, instead of being an hour prep is four hour prep or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and everyone brings their, 
I think also at risk of being cliche, there's like more love involved on, on every, 100%. Uh, it's interesting. Cause I don't know what you, what do you think about this? But I have a sneaking suspicion when, when this pandemic, uh, when it all at some point comes back, I feel like a lot of those elements could be at play and we could experience like a lot of really magical parties. A hundred percent. I mean, if, uh, as I was cycling on the way here, I was literally looking at outdoor spaces, thinking what would make an amazing outdoor block party. That's what's coming into my That's mind a good at sign. the moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good sign when you're when you're thinking like a 19 year old promoter again. That's what we need. Yeah. You know, we need well, to be able we're to celebrate. That. We're going to get that. The, you know, it needs to be able to be free. You know, I want to ask you. So it's hard on the. Can you pick a closing record? Oh, yeah, we haven't done my three records, have we? Yeah, opening record, I'd probably go with, um, well, actually, opening records, I usually play, like, really mellow, kind of, like, ambient or soul things and then build up from zero. But in this instance, I'm just going to pick a tune that's come into my head, which is not necessarily the first record, but in a shorter set, which is um, the Morris Fulton remix of Alice Smith, Love Endeavor. In the sort of how-to Bible guide of remixes, it's definitely in there you know, with up there with like some of Carl Craig's best remixes or whatever. It's like, a you know, it's just a brilliant remix. And it's at that perfect sort of mid-tempo, 110 sort of, it just has that feeling of optimism and build and euphoria and like we're going to go somewhere. It's like, I've... It's I've, a I've promise. So, it's a it's promise. A promise. Of I've, I've sort of cheated here because this is not really what I'd open with necessarily, but it it has got an opening feel to it. And it's that point in the night where... You know, if I was starting my set at kind of like 11.30, let's say, or, you know, people have been in the club for an hour and a bit, perfect. That's the bit where you're just touching the gas. You're just playing with the gas and you're just starting to press the gas underfoot. That's that record. And I think that you'll love it as well, actually. I hope you'll love it. about warmth yeah it's about it's just it's like it's making a space welcoming you know and because we all know it's such a stark contrast early in a night it's like some things are just wrong from the beginning they're they're cold and you're fighting the current oh, the man. whole way Don't, so I it's mean, really about that's podcast about, number 10 the science of that's parties 10. it's like no, the science of opening parties yeah, oh, yeah, just yeah. starting a party um in, and okay closing record Closing record's hard, I know. I mean, don't worry, it's not your funeral. It's just it's, a closing record. Yeah, it's record. kind of impossible. I mean, the one that I always used to close deviation with my residency in London was this um, sort of a bootleg, really. I mean, There's this tune by Jimmy Abney on Ocean Lade's label called um, Come Go With Me or something like that. And um, I just chopped in a bit of Marvin Gaye's live album at the front because it sounds a bit Marvin Gaye-ish. And... 
so and it has Marvin Gaye looping around going thank you ladies and gentlemen thank you ladies and gentlemen and I always find that no matter where you've been in the night when the lights come on and the bouncer's like listen this is really your last tune um <laughs> the 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 just that moment because I'm not really um I'm kind of like a bit of a don't look at me DJ. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. kind of like yeah, I totally you, know. ears not eyes kind of thing. And so Thank it's you. my way sometimes of being like, Thank I appreciate you, you. Thanks for spending your time Thank here you so with us. And thank you. And it just says thank you a lot at the beginning of the record. And then it just goes into this sort of very slow Marvin Gaye type of loop. And then it ends on applause. And I find that everyone claps. And so you don't have to do the DJ clap thing or whatever. People just naturally clap and then the lights come on and it echoes out. And then you party comes. And it's cool. It does a job. to avoid the DJ clap I never felt uh, yeah. 100% comfortable with that one yeah but I've turned a corner with that as well you know? <laughs> and maybe that's podcast 11 is uh, how to you know is that I turned a corner when I realised that you know to go to your back to your point about when you get bigger you know and suddenly I'm on stage to like before Frank Ocean at Park Life or mm. you know or with Jamie XX at Glastonbury or whatever it might be and the person, the me 10 years ago, when everyone's going, whoa, and clapping and shouting and whatever at the end, I used to be the guy that was like, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 be cool, yeah. turn around, pack up my records, yeah. yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. You know, and I realized that actually not reflecting back appreciation is rude. Yeah, I, I understand 100%. You have to acknowledge appreciation. You have to acknowledge it. It doesn't mean that you have to do the Jesus yeah. pose and stand on the decks and shower yourself in a bottle of water or something. But it does mean that you do, that clapping back or showing appreciation course, on some level yeah. is actually a a respectful reflection of, of, of what their intention is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the thing also I think is to be, I think what's most important is to be honest. And the thing is, is yes. that the the yes, quote unquote cool the, the the downplaying it is its own version of dishonesty it's it's its own totally. it's its own version of the exaggerated jesus pose it it comes it's easier to pull off because it seems like you're being humble whatever but there's a certain degree of built-in bullshit that you you realize gradually um i speak from experience so i know <laughs> i know i know how that i know i know well the the truth is also too um is that in the end you realize that a certain amount of showmanship makes everybody happy. It's a transaction. Yeah. It, 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 and ultimately that is the goal, you know? And I always think of guys like Carl Cox, you know, it's, it's like, man, he just, he just, he just makes you happy immediately. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're just like, you feel good, you know? And it's not, he's not, uh, he's not like brooding in the corner on, on his last record, you know? 
Yeah. Man, we could pretty much, I feel like we could genuinely talk forever. Is this interesting to listen to or is this just like, have I just been rambling? I don't know. Maybe we should do a series about the psychology of this. Shit. I'm like the worst liar in the world, okay? I do not, I, I, and trust me, if I was bored, you would hear it in my voice and we would have been over like an hour ago. So, you know, a lot of what you do, I, I consider it's like A&R, you know, you're, you're scouring and you're finding things that you love and you fall in love with and then you share them. And then, you, you know, you have a lot of, it's happened to me, you know, you have, you have artists that you, I don't want to say you break them. I mean, they have their own, but you definitely, you champion them and you push them. And then there comes a time where, you know, they get really big or whatever and they, and they sign to another big label or they, you know, and it's not that you ever had rights to them. That's not what I'm saying. But do you ever feel that the, I guess the role of the, 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 the A&R or the championing is, is undervalued in our world in the sense that like that really, really that delicate phase where you're finding things and you're passionate about them and you're, it's such a crucial step. And yet there's so many steps later on that seem to reap more commercial benefits. hundred percent. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I mean, it's my life, what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. In that case, that's podcast 12. <laughs> I mean, in there's no fast answer to this. So I'm going to try and make it as simple as possible. But you have to surrender to the idea that, you know, I, I've surrendered to that a long time ago because of what I do. So, for example, uh, you had our mutual friend Annie Mack on the show, um, on the podcast, I should say, like in the last series or whatever. And that's a really good example of someone who sits at the kind of interface between specialist music and, let's say, a mainstream accessibility of specialist music. And because of sitting at that interface, what it means is that on the radio station, as soon as James Blake or FKA Twigs or Sampha or any number of people, I mean, I you know, I don't want to single those people out, like any number of people who you could say when it comes for them to do their album promo time, I can't get a look in. Mm. You know what I mean? Because from a record label standpoint, some quote-unquote cool guy that's on late at night versus a 7pm massive show which dictates behaviours in major record industries and playlisting and all sorts of stuff, which is Annie's show, means that, I'm, you know, every time it'll be like, oh, sorry, we can't, we're on Annie Mac. Like, I mean, this is not anything to do with Annie Mac. It's a metaphor. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I love Annie Mac. And, and also, by the way, when those people do have that moment of crossover, I am the president of the fan club. You know what I mean? I'm the guy with the flag behind them. Go, yes, yes, go, go, go. You know, I love. I to know, see, I love to see that. But sometimes I think, see, I, I'm kind of the same, and you know, that's rooted in just a pure love of the music, and and you're kind of it's like a joy just to be associated, and you know, you're happy to be part of the process. Yeah. But what I do sometimes think is. Um, well, you know what I sometimes think is at the beginning, we talked about, you know, that thing you're really after, which is the other, the heads giving you that nod. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think it's like, well, that's what you wanted. That's what you got. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that, by the way, newsflash, that's not a currency. You can't, you can't make a living off that. It's not a currency. Well, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. There's other people who, who, 
who their child, you know, maybe their their target is not that. It's not it's not just hey man, you got the sickest taste. It doesn't have to be commercial. It doesn't oh, have to be no, money, but it's something else hey, in listen, the cycle. Anyone, any any specialist, credible underground, whatever kind of ridiculous term you want to use, music head person that tells you that there wasn't a time in the progression of their career where they turned around and went, mm, maybe I didn't play the game enough on this one, <laughs> you know, mm, is yeah. lying because I never have played the game, quote unquote. And I'm not saying that as some sort of medal. Like, I don't think it's cool that I haven't played the game. I'm just telling you I haven't. I've just, just had who my you head, are. Yeah, I've just had my head down and been in the music. And, and that is said with, if anything, with a self-critical angle, not a self-celebratory angle. It's like, you know... I think that there's something to be said for being aware of those things. But there's an added ingredient to my situation, which is that I broadcast on the BBC, which in the United Kingdom is a public service organization. There's no commercials. There's no, you know, you're not paid really properly or well. It's not a, it's not a, a sustainable income to live off, let's say. You know, it's something that you do because you're extremely passionate about it. And obviously that's not to underestimate the incredible platform it gives you worldwide and all the rest of it. But the point being that there is no room for conflict of interest. It is impossible for someone to say, I'll buy you a house if you play this record. You know what mm. I mean? It's completely... Oh, that's a drag. It's, so it's totally bulletproof of all of that. So it makes you even more, like your DNA even purer in a way. Because uh, yeah, you yeah. can only yeah. play you're only playing records that you really believe in. There's no secret incentive. You know, it's not like there's no payola. There's no big conflict of interest. There's no, and you can also find this on my headphone brand or whatever, you know, it's, it's like, but in terms of, in terms of, in terms of the recognition that you're talking about of, um, it's something that I've had to understand my role in music with. And it's a natural order of things. If you think about it, like, you know, first of all, the idea that someone can be discovered is maybe the wrong language to start with because just because I was the first person to play Hudson Mohawk doesn't mean that I have any responsibility for his incredible level of talent or a stake in his future it just means that I played his music early I played FKA Twigs early I played James Blake possibly the first person you know I played I, I don't know the list is endless of the people that I've played first yeah. on the radio but the thing yes. is, is you don't you don't get a medal for that do you know what I mean you don't it's not like they owe you anything for that. You just are early. That's all. I don't totally agree. I'm just, I mean, yes, I agree. The word discovery is a little loaded and obviously it could happen anyway. It probably would happen anyway. But I also think that there's a certain type of support. I know that when I, there's a certain type of framing I've done for certain artists and certain records because I loved them so much that... <laughs> It's, it's so subtle, but it really does not just add to the momentum publicly, but there's something even with the art. I mean, okay, I can't speak for you, but I, I do think there's something slightly more at play than that. And I, I do think yeah. it's, uh, well, well, it's, it's quite an important thing. Well, that's why you have to surrender. I can say it. You can't say it about yourself, but I can say it. Yeah. And I mean, like if you wanted to put it into brutal terms of like the things that have been signed off the radio show the the records that have been made from putting two producers together the 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 ideas that it sparked the 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 artists that have been scouted by record labels the um the the progression of you know if i had 10% of all of those things we'd be having this conversation on my yacht <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I know. Well, that's but, why, I mean, look, that's basically why I asked the question. But I, I don't, think about and that's, it. That's, that's, not, that's not part of the deal. You know, the deal is I do it because I believe in it and therefore you have to surrender to what the reality is, you know, and the reality is that in everyone's story, there's going to be a time when as a 300-person club in North London, let's say, I can afford to book Tiga. And mm. then there's going to be a time where I can't. Yeah. And the reason that I can't, I have contributed to by booking you in the first place. This might be a, a, a little bit of a stretch. Like I'm totally okay with it. I mean, I for myself, when I've signed an artist, I barely even keep them to exclusivity and I'm happy to see them grow, you know, usually because I genuinely love them at that point as people. And But do you think maybe this is a stretch? Maybe it's a little too metaphysical, but sometimes I personally think that part of what gives you the ear, part of what enables you to recognize it in the first place is a certain naivete. You know, it is a certain, I don't know, innocence, maybe a strong word, but it's a certain, uh, that the fact that it is uncluttered from some of those other objectives keeps the ear clear. It keeps you really, really open. And so I know for me, sometimes I tell myself, well, that's fine because I'm not mudding the waters in the basic ability that let me determine that in the first place, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, is that, am I crazy? No, no. I, I, I think there's, <laughs> I think that, that, um, or is that a fairy tale? I tell myself, no, I don't think so. it is a fairy tale because I think that as soon as you have a, um, conflict of interest on any level, you know, where it's like, oh, and I can then produce. Yeah, I you guess know, that's it. It's I guess like, that's then, it. then as soon, then the intention becomes something different. You know, it's like when I've put people's records out, it's interesting to watch how the relationship radically changes from cool guy who plays my stuff on the radio to the person who is now responsible for guiding my hopes and dreams. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. the two relationships are different and they and they should be different, you know. Um, so I think like what I really care about is development of artists and artists fulfilling their potential. And, you know, from an executive production standpoint, I really am not super comfortable with that term because every time someone asks me to exec something, I feel like the title of it is a bit pretentious, but we, we haven't currently got a better terminology for overseeing a record, let's say, or whatever. So we're going to have to use that. I like the term. Yeah. Well, I do that. Because <laughs> I, get, I get to think I'm wearing a suit, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> in a sense, like the best job you can do in that capacity is being a buffer barrier security fence to deflect every commercial um, conflict agenda of anyone at all, including the label, including even sometimes management, including everything to allow the artists to develop into exactly who they are supposed to be. That's yeah. the art form. Like the art form is like, the art form is not like, oh, you know, 104 BPM is kind of hot at the moment. Oh, this producer is kind of hot at the moment. Maybe we should put you in a room with so-and-so. It's like, no, no, no. What do you want? Like, how do we develop you into being the pure version of you? Because that's how you got here in the first place. And sometimes that role can make you incredibly unpopular with major record labels and other people that would want it to go a different way. But those people are right in the short term 
because in short-term thinking they always know best in terms of like what's going to cross over at radio and what's going to do but in long-term thinking like we're interested in you know long-term records that stand the test of time and the way you do that is by making sure that an artist can develop in the way that they're supposed to do you work i know you work with virgil i know you're friends with i virgil. mean like just to finish on the last one by the way just to interrupt you for a second i would sure. love a bit more recognition of all the people i've broken but so thanks for giving it to me <laughs> Yeah, well, no, no, I think, well, that's fair. I mean, that's, well, that's the truth, you know, that's, and it's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, no problem. A, okay? Free, free A&R for the world for the last you got 20 it. years. You're you welcome. Got it. Everyone, you're welcome. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So I know you work with Virgil and I know you're working with like your musical director at LV, right? That's the official title. For, me, for menswear, yes. For menswear. Not for, so I don't I work to... with Nicola on women's wear, but I work with Virgil on menswear. So for menswear, yes. Okay. So, um. I remember, actually, I have to say, when I heard that, I'll be honest, I was a little bit jealous. I don't even know what the job is, but I was a bit like, hmm, that sounds like a kind of thing that would be fun. So, but in a completely childlike way, of course, I have no idea about the work involved. Or well, first, tell me a little bit about what you do, how it works. Well, before I do that, the first thing I should say is that that's the ultimate compliment, what you just said, isn't it? Because the fact that you said, hmm, that sounds cool, I'm a bit jealous, I'd like to do that, is a reflection of where that thing is now and where you are now because 20 years ago where it was then and where you were then it's possible that your reaction could have been completely the opposite and gone oh what a sellout you know what i mean or something like that or something like oh that's kind well, that's corny and there there are times where the interface between you know quote unquote our world and that world was would have been like a difficult fit and now you know obviously with Virgil at Viton, it is like the perfect fit. And mm. um, I'm really, really privileged to be able to work with someone that, you know, has the vision to allow me to have my vision with him and be able to bring the music that we love onto that stage. For example, the show that we just did, I invited Juan Atkins and Cybertron to perform live because we felt that that was the music. You know, if we're going to do electro and we're going to do that sound, like let's not do a modern let's do the the people mm. you know if we're going to do a reference of or sorry if he's if virgil's going to do a reference of like new york street graffiti don't get like get the get futura yeah editor's note at this point dear benji went on quite an in-depth explanation of what it's like to work in fashion at the end of which i said yeah definitely i mean it, it, anyway it seems like fun it does i mean that's a better I mean, answer really, isn't it, it? Like how was it like <laughs> it's fun that's that's so much you know what just edit that that's a much better answer what's would, it like it doing like music for fashion it's fun that's the most that's the best answer i could give you it's fun mate listen benji i swear i mean i feel like we kind of talk forever because every everything we start leads to other things i want to ask you if you could invite anyone living or dead to your party oh my god be? you get a magic vip ticket well the party that i design is going to have everyone i've ever known in it but um well you know i mean it could be a you know, you could be dancing next to Prince or whatever, you know, you can... I mean, Prince... <laughs> Prince would be, like, such a scary Prince, guest to Prince invite. Because if he thought, I mean, he's hard to beat. Yeah, he's hard to beat, but he's so muso that, can you imagine, if he even heard four bars of a record he thought was whack, he'd just leave? Nah. Well, maybe. Come okay, on. Let's say whoever you choose, he stays. I mean, whoever it is, he or she, they, they actually stay. I might choose stay. someone, like, not in music, like, that 
to give them the op- what about sir david attenborough he's a good one um i mean yeah that's that, like or arsene wenger or someone that i wanted to get inside <laughs> are you an arsenal are you an arsenal supporter i'm sitting down the road from arsenal at the moment Fred. but are you are you arsenal no yeah really yeah the, the wenger era i would went to every now i got game. a really easy edit job i just delete the whole thing yeah 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 i mean <laughs> the arsene wenger if Arsene let me Wenger guess. Let do- me guess. Your Invincibles. And yeah, yeah. That era. The era. Would, blah blah yeah. blah. I'd love to have a chat with him. I don't know. You know, someone like Stevie Wonder would be an amazing guest because he he he's. You know, I said that we were only going to talk about people that are alive and. No, no. For the guest, you can go dead. I don't mind. Oh wow, Nikola Tesla. I don't know. Um, wow, <laughs> you're almost you're almost heading into uh, David Brent territory where you're like Nelson Mandela. <laughs> oh good uh, yeah oh no I mean no no I didn't head into that territory I just watched a documentary about it's Nikola hard, Tesla I'll, okay. I'll take out the Nelson Mandela Nik- Nikola Tesla could have powered the whole party yeah but I don't know how much, I don't know how much fun is he I don't know I yeah, think David not, he's, definitely, he's definitely not fun he's definitely not fun um, I reckon fun. That, you don't want pressure you don't want after like 10 minutes to be like trying to keep the guy occupied yeah but the thing is, if I invited Quincy Jones or someone, then I would feel pressure because I'd want them to love it. And if they didn't love it, I'd feel like the whole thing was like not happening. I think he not would good. love it. He would love it. There's a lot of quality on offer. Maybe we go Quincy then. I like Quincy Jones. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, so listen, it's been really, really uh, a real pleasure. And uh, I got a lot of stuff to think about. And that is my goal when I have these conversations. And remember at the beginning, we had never heard each other's voices. And now I feel like... I know you really well, and I'm really happy. Thanks. I've really enjoyed it, man. Thank you for the invite. If you enjoy my podcast, I would like you to take the extra time to recommend it to a friend or to add some little stars or even write a review. Any of that effort will result in me slowly climbing the algorithmic ladder to the stars, which uh, could result in untold riches. Last, last party.